Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend, the Dr. Michael Berg, um, Reverend Campus Pastor Gregory Lyon, Reverend Professor Jason Oakland, Reverend Campus Pastor Nate Wardell. Um, and we are continuing now. Uh, we're having the second part of our discussion of hermeneutics. How do we interpret the scriptures or how do they interpret us? And last time... It's a little bit of a free-for-all. We kind of meant to just throw out. We wanted to go around and throw out what comes to mind when we're talking hermeneutics. And for today, we have a little bit more of a, I don't know, outline, but talking points, things that we can hit on as we make our way through. And the goal is to eventually make our way to Flacius, uh, Matthias, Flacius, Illyricus's Clavis, the key to sacred scripture, and take some rules from there. Not as one um, set kind of every episode in a row thing, but something we can come back and revisit probably that with the Bonhoeffer as well. So you'll notice some threads. We thank the campus pastors for visiting us, joining us again. Gregory, for the second in a row. Nate, is this four for you in a row? I now? think four in a row. Okay, there should be a prize for that. Jason's going to get you something. Yeah, really maybe quick, I can what? get the... Go ahead. No, you go. I was going to say, maybe I can get the uh, two removed from my title, so I'm no longer the assistant to the campus pastor <laughs> as a prize. Hold on, buddy. <laughs> Hold on, buddy. <laughs> why, why am I Gregory and he's Nate? Because his given name is Nathan, mm-hmm. so why am I Gregory and he's Nate? Is is Gregory is that an honor thing? If so, I'll take it. Well, Gregory is that's like the Pope's. Okay, so I will I will take it as a mark of honor. Yeah, like Gregory the Great. There's no Greg the Great. And that should, sounds like a cartoon. Should Nate therefore take it as a mark of dishonor? No, Nate is new, and this is a there sign is of Greg. Fo- this is this is friendship. Yeah. There is a Nate the Great though. Yeah, uh, Nate the Great. There's Greg the Okay. <laughs> I did hear that in chapel once. Yeah. Huh. Would you Would you rather I go the the Jason route? Cool. Uh, would I you get, rather be Gregory? Or would you rather be I can we I can start coming up with names. Yeah, I get like a new nickname sometimes, almost daily. Uh, yeah. um, usually at least once a week. But yeah. Well, it makes me feel special when you call me Gregory and him Nate. So let's just. Do well, that. I'll stick with it then. Um, <laughs> so we're going to continue then with our um, discussion of hermeneutics how to interpret the scriptures or how they interpret us. And our goal with this is not, um, even when we get to fallacious, not to, to get very academic necessarily, um, but to get to, for the average Christian or for the parish pastor doing their their, um, their parish work, um, for all of us, kind of as we encounter the scriptures, what are the, the general things in play here? So we're not going to be getting like post-modernity and, you know, this. We might. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Um we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. You can go to 1517.org and find lots of good stuff. I um, encourage you to go and to check that out. I know they have sales going on now, too, for um, kind of the growing number of books they have. Um, good sales going on as Christmas is approaching. So go to 1517.org and check that out. And then lest I waste more time, uh, I see, Michael, you have the disclaimer. Would you mind giving that to us? This show doesn't speak for our churches or church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way.
And that brings us to our free-for-all. I've got two brief free-for-alls. I thought we were going to do the... Um... Yeah, Nate has one, and then I have one I want to do first, because I mentioned it last time, and I regretted not doing it. So we're going to go just once around the table quickly. If someone doesn't have an answer, that's fine. But the first, the minor free-for-all, right? Um, Jason Dale Christmas tradition. Mm. I just would briefly like to hit on that, and I, I would like to... Um, I would like to throw out my uh, my contention for what the the Jason Dale um, Christmas tradition would be. Um, they have a tree um, a, that they cut down. Can we maybe just briefly? Jason Dale is a smallish community. Yep. Uh, the main church is the Episcopalian Church. It's like an yes. exurb of a Minnesota Minnesota city. We put it in Minnesota, right? I think Minnesota we did, city. yeah, but Sounds certainly right. upper Midwestern, yeah. All the mayors are Episcopalian. Yep, yep. There's several Lutheran churches that uh, every year have the Orthodox and dog races yep. outside the framework of fellowship. Yep. That's a very nice quick trip. Right, yes, quick trip. Speedway isn't allowed in town, I think is the, yeah, but quick trip, you know, that's like the fave. Yeah. Walmart's um, outside of town. Yep, Walmart yeah, Walmart definitely on yeah. the highway. There's a really yeah. cool water tower, isn't there? I think oh, so, yeah. yeah of course. There's, um, it says like... Freedom is free, or yes. freedom comes free. Uh, <laughs> kindness comes free, or something. I can, yeah. The um, but so uh, and this comes from. Did you say this, Michael? That Jason's middle name we found out is Dale. Dale, so yeah, so Jason Dale, and um, Jason Dale has a very pronounced uh, anti-Swedish um, <laughs> hostility. I think yep. I think we've hit on that a few times. It's been mentioned, yes. Yeah, and so um, one of the th- the thing that they do. So Jason Dale. They don't want to cut down any of their own trees because they're very proud of the trees that they have. Right, they're, they're, I believe most of them are oaks. Yeah. Mm. So they, they have, at night, the high school seniors sneak over to, what did we decide was the name of one of the, the bordering oh, towns? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. They sneak over to, um, well, the town has a, a very, they're very, very proud of their Swedish heritage, this neighboring town, and this is a big high school rivalry. And so they go and they, they cut down two Swedish trees. Two of the biggest they can get, and then they um, they bring them back. And uh, there's there's a lot of I would say um, there's pickup trucks in the Jason Dale High School parking lot, so they're able to, to move mm-hmm. these trees. And uh, they bring two back, and one um, they burn. Uh, they always burn one of them. Yeah, chosen by lot um, to show their hostility. <laughs> and then the second they decorate as the town's Christmas tree but not using any lights present in the Swedish flag. No colors of lights, the color Ooh. of any in the in the Swedish flag. Yellow yeah. and blue? Yellow and blue, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you're, if you're yellow and blue, you're all, In fact, all the Lutheran churches in Jason Dale use purple for Advent. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because of the anti-Swedish bias. Yes. Michael, do you have any? I, I don't. I don't I, I'm sorry. Was that okay? That was great. Yeah, that's right. a good one. Does anybody else have one? Otherwise, we'll set mine. No, um, Jason. Uh, one? I'll say that they have a they have a Christmas market in Jasondale, but they um, are very focused on um, like Norwegian crafts and German crafts, and you know very um, very sensitive. If anyone tries to sneak any sort of uh, you know Swedish cultural tradition into their Christmas market, that is a sure way to get a ban 
mm-hmm. you know, for at least a year, maybe a decade. You know, I don't know. You know what they also have at this at, the, at this Christmas market, I bet? Yeah. It's not, um, what do you call it, in German? Glühwein or whatever? Glühwein, yeah. Maybe they have some of that, but they especially have a, I see the people of Jason being a big fan of a wassail. Wassail. Like, here we go, wassail. <laughs> yes, yes. They, um, you yes. can get um, very good wassail. Yeah. Wassel at the Jason Dell Christmas party, and and all the all the churches um, take turns supplying the carolers. Yes, you know, but again, no one sings along. Only those carolers. Yes, yep. from those churches sing individually. No one else joins in the carols. Yep. Are there Christmas carols that are banned in Jason Dale? Mm. or just there's Christmas some, carols that are emphasized? There's some that the CLC Church every year turns their back on, <laughs> kind of in disgust, um, but none that that have so far. Ben band, unless they're Swedish hymns, and then they carols, yeah. and then nope, no. Yeah. Even reindeer, I've heard they're they make sure that to make clear that the the reindeer, because they get live reindeer for this Christmas market, of have Norwegian roots. They actually have DNA tests that are posted <laughs> <laughs> next to that. <laughs> All right. And Mike Stoically sits in the corner, ignoring everything that just happened. Yeah. All right, Nate, now for your your better free-for-all, why don't you go ahead and throw that at us, and then uh, we will go ahead and pick up with that. So the free-for-all idea is this. You know, I would do this all the time with the full 68-team March Madness bracket, but it would take too long to do that. So let's do the four-team college football playoff bracket. Here's the idea. It's animal fights, but it's mascot fights. So if the two mascots went head-to-head, I believe – We've got a Buckeye of Ohio State versus a Bulldog from Georgia. And then on the other side of the bracket, we've got a Wolverine from Michigan facing off with uh, a horned frog from Texas Christian. I've done some research. Oh. Ooh. Now, can I just ask, by mascot, you mean like the – because Michigan technically doesn't have a mascot like at the football game. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about like a Bucky the Badger or Sparty. Mm-hmm. We're just talking what they're named after in general. They go live action. Yeah, I think it has to be like the, you know, the, the name incarnate. Okay, yep. I think that's what we need to talk. Because I asked because like the Buckeyes have someone who's dressed up. Yeah, but no. Okay. All right. Um, I looked up our horned frogs, poisonous. Oh, good. Mm. They are not dangerous to people. However, they are a danger to other small-sized animals and each other. Ooh. Now, is a wolverine a smallish type animal? I don't think so. So I'm still going to go with the wolverine. I think the wolverine does a whole lot of... Are the horned frogs going to poison it? And the wolverine's not going to be really great against the bulldogs in the next round. So now I'm looking at And picture. I also think that the... Um, these horned frogs are dangerous to each other. Mm. I feel like the horned frog's going to have a couple fumbles or interceptions. Yes. Do you know, Michael, I'm, I'm looking at just so I'm going briefly Wolverines. pictures of them, but how big is a horned frog? Did you happen to find that? Okay, so it's not like so, anywhere near as big as a wolverine. No. So, okay. That would have been like roughly the size, smaller than a hockey puck. I would say if is it were poisonous enough, similar size yep. Yep. than that. Yeah, I would say that. I think a wolverine is big enough that it may... It may cause it some issue, but I don't think it's going to take it out. Is That's it, what I would is say. Is it poisonous if you eat it, like yeah. if the wolverine ate it, or is it only poisonous like if it gets you with its tongue or something or spits whatever it does? Because I think a wolverine could do some damage without biting, right? Yeah. 
a claw action. Yeah. Yep. So here's my question. I Does a Buckeye have like any way of defending itself or offending? It, well, it that's has, why I asked if it, we meant like the the guy that's in it the has, right. it yeah. has It has a shell, hmm. but it's a pretty like thin and you know flexible-ish type of shell it's not it's not gonna stand up to a whole lot is kind of i mean if you're talking about the actual buckeye we had we had one of those next door as as a kid grown up and you could take those things apart uh just by yourself not as a not needing teeth or claws or anything the bulldog (laughs) (laughs) Something's coming right now. Nah, Wade's cooking up something. Um, so are we? We're, why don't we go around and vote on the TCU just, Michigan just, game first? I just found a thing called a Wolverine horned frog. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh no! Oh. oh man! I don't know what to do anymore. Yep. I had my my die was cast, but now I have to. Yep. If, I have to bring it back. Well, I will. I will start the voting for the TCU Michigan. I just think Wolverines beat almost anything. They're they're pretty vicious. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Wolverine. And even if, if, assuming the standard is whichever dies first loses. I think so. Because even if the Wolverine would die from eating the horned frog. Yep. Which I think is a pretty likely scenario for the college football playoffs anyways. That I think Michigan gets for the first round, but then mm. Georgia's going to. So. I'll also vote Wolverine. Yeah, I think too that, uh, especially if you're talking standalone, standalone not lingering effects, and you're talking whoever dies first, the frog is dying first. So, Wolverine. I'll, I'll be contrarian here. I wonder if the Wolverine is going to assess its own size and wonder, having done the research, am I a small-sized animal? <laughs> and and maybe I fit into that category. I should probably back off. I'm going Horn Frog. That is a pretty academic mm-hmm. school. Yeah. I can see that. That's what they do in the first half like they normally do. <laughs> fourth quarter team. It's a fourth quarter team, Mike. Michael, I believe you have Wolverine then. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, you know who uh, is a TCU alum? Dr. Have you been talking to any trash? Uh, through Peter, I did. Okay. Well, she's been a guest on the show. Mm-hmm. So Amy Hermanson, who teaches her in the English department, mm-hmm. went to TCU. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if she's Lutheran or Church of Christ, but... Okay. I'm going to... Uh, <laughs> Somebody better laugh so we all I'm know. Gonna, everybody listening knows that's a joke. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go ahead with the Buckeye and Bulldog, and I just think it's obvious. Like unless the Bulldog somehow would choke yep. on the Buckeye, <laughs> I think it. Um, and I mean, they would have to choke. Just I, I'm also biased as a Michigander. Um, I think anything from Ohio is pretty much stupid. Uh, so I took five points off a kid that you uh, told us last episode. Yeah, the, yeah. The, where Ohio State stuff. I took two points off a kid. Who wore Michigan State stuff today for the exam? Well, you should tell me who that kid is so I can give them that. <laughs> give them ex- give them three <laughs> points. Yeah, I'll let them. I'll I'll say we did independent study and just give them credit for of course. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. All right, so I'm just gonna go straight up bulldog. Yeah, I think bulldog. that yeah. bulldog for sure. Yeah, I would agree. Bulldog. Um, yeah, again, Buckeye. I mean, if it has potential to take root and grow, we've got something. But no, this is just the Buckeye. This is just the Buckeye bulldog all the way. See, my only experience with the Buckeye is the ones that you get at Christmas, where it's like the peanut butter thing. Oh yeah, covered in chocolate. Even softer. Even softer. Yeah. So yeah, I, I like can't. Their defense this year. I, I, I will. <laughs> I will say that uh, you can turn Buckeyes into projectiles, 
I may or may not have some experience with this, but um, <laughs> the they they don't they don't hurt. They're not going to do anything. Um, that would be a good free for all. Like, what's the stupidest thing you ever threw at each other's kids? Huh? Yeah. Mm. Well, you can put Buckeyes down. Yeah, mine would be dog poop. <laughs> 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 Uh, All right, so I think we, we, I think we, I mean, it's just a given. Bulldog beats uh, Buckeye. We'll go to the final, and now I'm going to say, I will be rooting for Michigan as the only Big Ten in the college, Big Ten team in the college football playoffs, in my view. Um, but uh, I think, unfortunately, I think Georgia is going to be very tough to beat. But if we're going simply mascots, I think a Wolverine just takes it to a Bulldog. Bulldog is not a. Uh, it seems like it's not a very. Um, fighting type dog anymore. Not like the ones they have at their games. At least they seem very mm. <laughs> overweight and like just chill. Yeah. And I think like it would be like curious about the Wolverine, and the Wolverine would just and it's all hopped up on horn frog venom. <laughs> <laughs> I think it wins easy. Is it a hallucinogen now? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's like Age of Aquarius. <laughs> well, I'll chime on this since. Since I was the only one who picked the horn frog, so now I got a horn frog versus a bulldog, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take a step back because the bulldog would probably be smaller than the wolverine, right? Mm, I think the bulldog, their bulldog, bulldog is pretty big. You think so? Yeah. yeah. Depends on the bulldog. Yep. Nonetheless, the bulldog is not going to take the time to assess its size because it's way too busy just lollygagging down the sidewalk, doing whatever bulldogs do, strutting their stuff. So he's not going to ask any questions. He's just going to step on the horn frog and move along. Mm-hmm. So I'm going bulldog. I've seen enough Tom and Jerry to know that, like, when the bulldog comes in, yeah. like, there's really no, there's no, nobody stands up to him, you know? But except for the cartoon, I've never seen a bulldog move quickly. Mm, that's true. They kind of had, like, the cat attitude yeah, that they I, own I every single room they, they walk into. Kind of a, they're an animal that's not built to actually fight. You think the Wolverine gonna get behind it or something, or jump on the back? Does it bite really neck and stuff? Bite. Like, yeah, I yeah. think it. I am going bulldog all the way. I oh. think you significantly underestimate the power of the bulldog uh, in the fighting ring. Um, and uh, as much as my heart wants to say I would love to go with the with the Wolverine and the Big Ten. Bulldogs are fighters, and it's not in their speed, and it's not necessarily in their strength. It's in their tenacity and will to keep on going. And they have, they may be a little bit slow and a little bit, but they they have, I think, pretty strong uh, bite strength and the tenacity to stick with something. And that, I think, allows them to be underestimated, and I think they're going to show up big as a mascot battle. I So I'm currently researching. So honey badgers and wolverines are kind of like related, similar animals. And I have seen honey badgers fight lions, like legit fight lions. And so Successfully? Fight, like fight them <laughs> off, yeah. Oh. Like they got, got them to leave. Um, I can't get anything conclusive on a fight prediction between a wolverine and a... Uh, a honey badger, at least not anything to my standards as an academic. Mm. Um, but um, but I just, I think, I don't know. 
All right, Michael, are you taking Wolverine? Wolverine. Just as, are you taking it because you think that, or because no, Wolverine? Okay, I think that went pretty well, and I I would like us to return at some point um, to honey badgers because mm. they're a fascinating creature. Perhaps we yeah. could get maybe that could be um, Jason Dale's uh, <laughs> mascot. No, the rival team. I thought we oh. said that Jason Dale's were the, were the Jayhawks. Did we? Oh, maybe we did. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. Or we had come up with ideas. I don't know if we had settled on one. Oh, we'll throw it in the mix. Ah, all right. All right, well, we are 20 minutes in, so that was two good free-for-alls. We had a solid intro, Mm -hmm. and now we'll make our way to our main topic. us to our main topic which is hermeneutics and we have a, a number of talking points we've come up with for today and we've narrowed down to three that we'd like to hit on as we begin once again when we're talking about hermeneutics think of in, think interpretation rules of interpretation how do i understand a text and so when we're talking about biblical interpretation we're talking about something uh, unique um, at least uh, for christians we're not going to approach the bible as just any other type of literature although we are going to approach it as literature, there's going to be commonalities. There's words, grammar, historical, cultural references, stuff like that. Um, but how um, do we approach the scriptures? How do we interpret them? And then I'll just keep saying, how do they interpret us? And so, um, as we as we kind of look of it, look at it today, some things for us to come back to. And, and Jason and I, I think it was just the two of us, did an episode on the Bible. Yeah, right? yeah. But that might be a helpful one for some um, someone to revisit if they're interested in this. Um, and so what is the Bible? You know, it's called the book, but it's not one book. It's a collection of books by various authors. Um, but what we're hoping to talk about today um, would be first, how ought we approach the Bible? What should we expect? What should we keep in mind? What challenges will we face? And then second, in what sense does the Bible speak to me? And then third, what do we mean by the word? And so if I can toss three out there first, once again, how ought we approach the Bible? Because question three on the sheet we're doing. How ought we approach the Bible? What should we expect? What should we keep in mind? What challenges will we face? Um, maybe we'll toss that out, and this can be for um, someone who's not a Christian but is, is curious. This can be someone who is a new Christian and now wants to dig into the Bible more themselves. Or maybe even... Um, the lifelong Christian who just wants to get more out of the scriptures. Uh, I'll toss three out to the room. Anything that any of you have that you'd like to begin discussion with for that? Well, I'll just start by mentioning that always answering these questions, like what do we expect to find in the Bible? What should we keep in mind? Um, it's it's in some ways going to be cyclical because the way I'm reading the Bible, I'm saying I'm going to take my expectations from the book itself from the collection of books called the Bible itself. And then I'm going to have that in the back of my mind. But I can't have that in my mind until I've read through the Bible, and I can't know how what to make sense of the Bible. So in some ways it's cyclical, but I think it's maybe helpful to think of it practically in this way. You should, in one way or another, get a sense for what the whole message is, and then return to it and see what the details look like as part of that message. So in my own personal experience, that meant reading through the Bible cover to cover, 
once. And then spending time drilling down into this passage, this passage, this passage. And that, that was combined also with doing it with a community. And we're going to get to maybe some of that later. But having, you know, intelligent uh, pastors, professors, older family members who could help me understand some of the big picture as I was drilling down into the smaller pieces. And so, um, you know, people can come to the Bible expecting anything they'd like. I think it's the most the most reasonable thing to expect what the Bible itself puts forward as its as its purpose, right? So that helps me think of it. It's a little tricky because you can't just like, you know, Google what does the Bible say and then get it. You have to get it from the text itself. But once you've kind of gotten the big picture in mind, I think returning to the details book by book makes it make a little more sense and, and really reduces some of those challenges. Yeah, it was just um, at uh, um, St. John's McGuanago does the daily matins, divorce, matins devotions for weekdays. And so Mike does those sometimes, and I've, I've done a few to help out. And um, I just had, uh, for St. John, Apostle and Evangelist, recording ahead of time, uh, the text is the end of John's Gospel, right? And John kind of does the same thing there when he says, like, now this book you just read, <clears throat> this Gospel, this is why I wrote it. And this is who I am. And, you know, this this is all other stuff that could be in there, but that's this is why this is here, um, which he does, you know, um, which help it happens that Paul does and, um, you know, uh, explains as well while he's writing. Uh, so that the individual books do that themselves, too, of kind of like here's here's what is happening here. Uh, but, yeah, gentlemen, anything else? I think um, just understand that you will, that there will be challenges that face you. I think that's, you know, maybe entering it with that understanding that, number one, you're going to be confronted with, things that you don't necessarily find in other places. I mean, some of the miraculous events or, or you know, things that impact the entire world um, in one way or another. And I think going in expecting to be able to engage with some of those things are probably, uh, that's a good thing to keep in mind, expecting that that's going to gonna be the case. Um, and in a way, oftentimes that the Bible does this in a way different from any other um, literature or, or book or myth or something like that. Um, and then I think maybe along with that, kind of going back to what you're saying with what, oh, uh, I, I should say the other thing that from the challenges standpoint is that there are going to be some teachings that are probably going to, you know, be jarring um, to you say, this isn't exactly how I look at this or how I've thought of things. Um, but there are going to be some that kind of catch you like that. But then I think the other thing, kind of going back with how the Bible speaks of itself, is just say, you know, that um, we should expect to be, um, that, that we're going to come into contact with God's word, right? That, that that's a big part. And probably the main thing that sets it apart from other pieces of literature. So that's kind of where I'll start that. I think that ties to me in some ways of saying like when I come when I approach the Bible am I approaching it as the one who gets to decide if it's valuable or not or the one who gets to decide if it's true or not the one who gets to judge the, the text or am I coming to it seeing it as the word of God saying uh, I'm here to learn something from this text you know and it, it can I mean you can meet all sorts of people who don't believe in God at all but they've read through the whole Bible because they've approached all of their Bible study as a judge of the text instead right. of um, kind of what, what you were saying, like, am I interpreted by it? Is this a message from God to me? Am I a student or am I in charge of this? I think that's an interesting question to, you know, 
toss around in your brain about how, on this individual day, how am I coming to the text? What, what am I? What is my approach to this? Yeah, and I think um, you know that's that's right there in the scriptures that this is how we ought to approach it. I mean, Paul talking to the Corinthians especially. Um, but last one, I think some people hear that that they maybe think kind of like that we can sound like um, the Mormons where, well, how does it make you feel when you read it? Like, you know, did you feel warm and fuzzy? And um, <clears throat> Not to just pick on the Mormons, but they'll sometimes say this with the Book of Mormon. And I would guess Mike deals with this in a lot of apologetic, in apologetics as well. Like, we're not saying the text can't stand for itself. Like, that if we're, even if apart from faith, we're going to discuss the text, textual traditions, um, the claims the Bible makes, that, that those can't be defended, Right. Um, but what we are saying is that uh, um, that that's not the the defense of the faith is a necessary thing, but that's not my primary way that I'm I'm to encounter it in the scriptures, right? That the, that it does matter the disposition with which I come uh, as well. I maybe we can backtrack to two then, and I'll just throw this in because I think this hits with what we're talking about as far as challenges we face, and I think Greg raised last time, and it was a good point of kind of the order for going through the Bible, if you're going to read through in a year, um, that when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about all sorts of different kinds of texts or books. <clears throat> and so um, I think an expectation I know I had coming into like when I was, you know, in Catholicism, but considering Lutheranism, in Roman Catholicism, I should say, and I was considering Catholicism, Lutheranism, uh, <clears throat> uh, was, you know, you're going to sit down there and read the Bible and, and it's going to be like this, religious textbook that kind of like just answers all the big things people are debating like it just lays out almost like a like a catechism book you know um, and uh and that's simply not the case you get close to it in the epistles where like paul does just straight up say some things and you go okay <clears throat> yep but otherwise um it's a variety of texts i mean you have um the poetry of the psalms you have job where the whole big mi middle part, I mean, the majority of that text is just his friends giving terrible advice. You know, um, but what's <laughs> happening there is, you know, this discussion of all these different um, theodicies or ways that people try to explain away the world. Um, you have just tons of straight narrative. Um, and like First Kings, Second Kings, Chronicles, etc. Those can all be super fun books, but, but sometimes if you're going into them, like looking for that, like, Colonel, that's going to tell me this, you're kind of like, why is it telling me all these stories, and why do, why do these kings matter? Um, you can have Revelation, which I think Mike hit on last time, or one of you hit on last time with the apocalyptic, that you have to go in knowing this is apocalyptic, and these imageries right, are not um, meant to be taken necessarily literally here, as they're meant to be taken literally. Um, elsewhere, you have Proverbs, which just is a collection of sayings. Um, but I would say especially that one of the things that I... Um, did not expect so much of, but that I found and could be a challenge at first is just so much of the Bible is narrative. It um, and it's not narrative in a way, you know. Jason talked about mythology, and you could compare it to other ancient myths, but it's not narrative in that way. It's historically narrative, right? It's like here's actual concrete people, and these things happened in these places, and. Uh, I think as you delve more into the scriptures, that can make it super fun. Because I think I hit on before, like Luther with his Genesis lecture, sometimes he's like, okay, I'm just going to have fun. You know, like, <clears throat> let's really dig into Jacob. Um, and uh, in that, um, 
there can be a lot in there and with the gospels that's what makes them so rich for preaching on these narrative texts and i'd say it's what makes the epistles often hard to preach on um but just knowing the sheer um variety of approaches that the biblical books take um it can take a while to settle in and understand what each is trying um trying to do right but then those narratives become really important i mean you think of what paul does where um i mean we have uh Moses and the law given of Moses, right? And so the Jews are wrestling with this as they're thinking about Christianity. Well, what about the law of Moses? And then what does Paul say? He's like, well, but Abraham was before Moses. And you go like, wait, that's totally profound. But if you if you read the Old Testament, literally, like, how did you not pick up on that? Like, here's all the Abraham stuff. And then there's Moses. And you go, well, then if it is by Moses' law that we're saved, how was Abraham saved? And Abraham is our father. And you go, oh, um, but that you know can take um, it can take take time. I think I saw someone do one of these. Uh, I did one of these. I know you said you wanted to go backwards. I'm <clears throat> kind of going forward, but we talk about expectations when we when we head into the scriptures. Um, I can have expectations of what the Bible is going to do or say to me, and you spoke to that with all the different variety. If I go into it with an expectation that I'll get an answer on this particular question that I have on this day on this day or this particular challenge uh, I don't know if you if you all ever did um, back in the day they had all these God's yellow pages mm-hmm. right nobody knows what yellow pages are anymore but they still <laughs> float around where it's like if you're dealing with anxiety look up passage one two three and four and I, I think sometimes as pastors we can almost flippantly say just dive back into the word so then people will have the expectation, potentially, of saying, okay, I'm struggling with depression today, so I'm just going to dive into the Word, and the Word yeah. is going to fix me. But then they dive into the and Word, like, like, what does gonna, that even mean? You're going to do that where you flip the page, and then you touch, and then right. you're like, oh, exactly. this will be the verse. That we talked about this yesterday. like, And that worked for St. Augustine, but that's not promised to work for all of us. <laughs> right. So, so it's not just, what do I expect when I'm going into it? Like, I expect to be reading the very words of God. But also, what do I expect the Bible's going to do to me? If I go in with a certain set of expectations, I'm going to say this carefully, I might be disappointed with what, with what I discover. Yeah. God didn't fix my problem today. Yeah. You know, but yeah. And it may even appear that he didn't address your problem. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you think of, doing, think of doing that with a medical text. If you say, I have this ailment, I'll just start reading from the beginning of this medical text. Yeah, oh, right. it didn't work. You're like, well, of course <laughs> it didn't work, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't even address you. And probably you need to see a doctor in that case. Right. And you could make the same analogy, right? You should probably mm-hmm. go talk to somebody about your spiritual issue. And you should probably know where you're looking in the scriptures and, and spend some time with that solution rather than hope for a one-page answer. Yeah. And even, I think, um, you know, with the, the yellow pages or concordance-type approach to this, too, or you Google which is probably most young people, you Google, like, verses about, and then you put the thing in. One of the challenges with that, too, is, um, which is not dissimilar from just account, uh, encountering the Bible as proof text, right? That would be a big thing of mine, too, with hermeneutics, is the Bible is not a collection of proof texts. It was never intended to be read that way. <clears throat> proof texts aren't necessarily bad, but it wasn't written to be a collection of, of proof texts. <clears throat> um but this can happen with those verses, too, where somebody's put together, like, oh, for anxiety, these verses mention anxiety. 
but if they're divorced from their their context, um, uh, sometimes you're taking something that doesn't really apply to you. you know, like I don't want to ruin anybody's Bible passage, you know, but you get just certain passages that become convenient. So like there's like what three or four main verses that every Wells Lutheran Elementary School has for sports team stuff. Because <clears throat> it's like, oh, this must be a reference to that. But then, like, you read the whole thing, you're like, oh, this is like, he's about to die. You know, <laughs> he's in prison, and, you know. Um, or uh, things about plans, you know, for, you know, the pla I know the plans I have. And these aren't bad, and it is true that, that right, we are actors in a, a play that God has already, to a large degree, written. Um but we're sometimes maybe missing out on the richness in that approach, too, of expecting the quick fix rather than, like, having to actually dig. And I think this is where the narrative can be so strong is I have to, I have to dig and then I encounter it, right, this through engagement. Um, God realizes that as humans we're more complex than a platitude. And I think those verses can become a platitude when we're looking at them as kind of the quick fix. And, of course, my... My angle is always pastoral counseling. I'm always looking at things from that lens. Anytime you find the passage that's a quick quick fix, inevitably it's law. Yeah. Or it becomes law, even if it's gospel, right. and then it becomes, well, why isn't this happening for me? And then I look for law reasons for why it's right. It's not, yeah. So I, I tend to say, let, let's set aside the quick fix. Let's spend time in the narrative. So I love spending as much time as possible in the narrative, because then you can see... Law and gospel. Yeah. What Gregory has uh, pointed out to me a few times. Thank you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> is that oftentimes those those simple uh, law texts, which are great advice, you know, but what they do is they allow you to get through your problem without ever talking about Jesus. Yeah. You know, so like... Or okay, even Jesus, sometimes addressing the problem. Or without yeah. addressing the problem. Yeah. So like Jesus died on the cross for nothing because all you needed is this passage that tells you what to do. Just don't worry. Just don't worry. That's the solution to your problem. The narrative forces you to see it, you know, if you're, if, if you're you know, um, thinking through the whole story. Oh, yeah. Somebody else went through this and they found their solution, but it wasn't just simple and easy. Yeah. It was, yeah. It's kind of like you go through Genesis and you're reading about Abraham and, um, and man, Sunday school just ruins Abraham. <laughs> so many of the accounts of Abraham, but like, we'll pick this account where Abraham does something great. And then it's like, see, have faith like Abraham. But you kind of want to be like, read before and after. Yeah. And like, it's like, what? For the second time, he set his wife up for adultery by saying she's just his sister. And, um, you know, he, he's having a kid with some other lady because Sarah is frustrated that day. And it's like, God must not mean for the child to come through me. And, um, you know, that the, the narrative, I think, also reinforces like, I mean, the book, the Bible drives home like you're not, you may get past this problem, but you're not going to be removed from, right, the flesh that brings with it problems until, right, life eternal. Um, when we, I mean, we see that with the, the biblical figures uh, again and again. Uh, just, I mean, the same with Romans. There's a reason Paul, boom, right before Romans 8, the climax of the book, you get Romans 7. And he's like, hey, just so you know. Like Romans 8, I'm going to give you a bunch of passages you're going to love. <laughs> like here's the highly quotable stuff. But let me just qualify that, and then we get the symbol. You know, the good I want to do this, I do not I do. Not do. Um, <clears throat> maybe we go to four then a little bit. Um, I know some people have places to be, and I want to respect your time. Uh, in what sense does the Bible speak to me? And I know um, Mike hit on this a little bit last time too where he talked about 
kind of the American individualism and that the scriptures were never meant to be like this, just me and my Bible thing, that worship was never meant to be just like me and God, um, but but bigger, this communal thing. In what sense can we say and in what sense ought we maybe not say that the Bible speaks um, to me? Sure, I can go. Um <laughs> I think one one uh, way to describe it is that the Bible reads you rather than you read the Bible, right? And and that's not a throwaway cute phrase. Um, it is, this is a living thing that attacks you, and is going to show your faults, and is like a uh, the, especially the law is a hammer that will break you to pieces, right? Uh, God works on you like he worked on St. Peter. And that often, if not always, involves a bottoming out. Uh, for Peter, it was uh, Monday, Thursday evening. Um, and uh, so when, I'm, when I take up and read, as Augustine says, right, I'm taking up something that has a dynamis, a power that's going to do something to me. And that's not just the, the, the Word of God. Many texts or songs can do that, right? They can change you. They can, they can be the right thing at the right time. So I think when we talk about uh, encouraging people to read the Word of God, again, you know, if you want to have a pattern or whatever, fine. But we've, we've talked about the, the downfall of that. I think the point is just be in the Word, as in, uh, this is the thing that's going to work on you, so so be there as much as you can. Um, when when we think about maybe a broaden it out, like uh, for for a modern person, what I mean by a modern person is post Renaissance Reformation, post even Enlightenment up until right about now. Uh, when we read the Bible, we assume a free will, right? So if I just find this one passage, click that'll be the that'll be the the solution to the problem, which I think turns into a lot of uh, moralism, um, turns the Bible into something, instead of something that kills you and resurrects you, is trying to reform you. It's therapeutic in that way. That's how we talk about the Bible. It'll be therapeutic for you. I think that's not necessarily wrong, but that's not that's not really the goal, right? It becomes like two streams coming together to form a river. Like, I'm one stream, I'm going... And then here comes God, and he's alongside me. And now we're a yeah. real power, because our yeah. wills are working together. Um, also, with uh, the modern person assumes that they can, they can reason everything, um, which is the, the, the utmost arrogance of putting yourself over the text, right? And, and saying, I don't understand that, therefore it must be wrong, or God must be mistaken. Um, and then, of course, uh, it's, it's very uh, black and white in, in modern way of thinking. It's less about story and narrative and more about, um, let me put this math problem together, right? So you do get proof text. Well, you were talking about proof text. I was, today in Matins, we had um, Psalm 68. And I, when I read, um, the Lord announces the word 
and the women who proclaim it are a mighty throng. I'm like, that has got to be somewhere somebody has made that the theme of their ladies group. And then we read <laughs> verse 12. Verse 12, kings and armies flee in haste, and the women at home divide the plunder. So, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they're taking their little offerings and dividing yeah. the, the yeah. plunder, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe a couple other things, and I'll be, I'll be quiet. Um, you touched on the idea of a story thing, right? The other thing is this is a claim. Even if you're, whether you're Christian or not, and you're approaching this text, this is a claim on reality, right? So uh, uh, you don't come at, oh, this is a nice story, this is, a, this is a mythological thing. So 1 Corinthians 15, right? Uh, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, um, uh, Peter saying, you know, you know, we saw these things, we're eyewitnesses. John, these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, right? Um, and even so to our friends who are maybe skeptical, that's so, at some point you have to, you have to be... Um, you have to come to that question, is this a claim on reality or, or not, or is this some sort of stuff? And what I mean by that is not just that it's always historical, like first, first and Second Kings, but it can be a, a poetry can be a claim on reality too, right? It's not literal, but it's claiming something about the human condition and its relationship with God. And maybe one more thing. I think we fall into this trap a lot is we see a lot of phrases and they become pet phrases that we have and very often they're shorthand for something bigger. And the only way you can understand that they're shorthand for something bigger is if you see uh, this collection of books as a whole. It's both a collection and as a whole, right? You have to read it through the lens of the rest of scripture, right? So we've used tons of examples about, uh, this is shorthand for something else, right? You can't just pull something out of context. So. And I, so two things with that, Michael, that I appreciate that um, you, you mentioned the skeptic coming. And I think this is something hopefully the honest skeptic who reads the scriptures will have to at least grant or respect is that the scriptures kind of almost expect you to be skeptical, right? That they're unlike many religious books. They're not like, hey, just buy into this. But they're addressing things skeptics would want to know. And you mentioned First Corinthians 15, right? All right, show me Jesus' bones. Yeah. Um, and the Old Testament, I think, is similar in that in many ways, that it's it's speaking to things that where, where other texts would just kind of throw them out there. Um, you know, these things are grounded. And then secondly, oh, what was the very last thing you Let said? Me, while you're thinking oh, about that, Peter Kreft uh, has said that when, I, um, uh, when he teaches Bible, at, I think he was at Boston College, um, he started with Ecclesiastes. Yep. Right. Um, that's where the skeptic is, okay, here, here's, the Bible is not just throwing stuff at you. I mean, it's saying, here is some, here, here, here's what truth is and our lack of ability to get to truth. Here's what happens. This is what we're saying. So this is not some sort of naive, ancient, uh, superstitious uh, religion. This is something that deals with the question, uh, an epistemological question. Yeah, and connected to that, so the last point you made too, Michael, that you know that these are all different authors or books, and yet we read them all together. I think that says something both to the skeptic and to the Christian too, though, also. This isn't like, um, you know, where you have like Star Wars or um, whatever, and you have, um, you know, the canon. Mm. Like, you know, and it's it's the same author wrote them all or the same writing team. And um, this is got people who the Christian will claim are writing by revelation. 
But people across time and even um, in a, to a degree across geography um, and, uh, and across languages, linguistic barriers, who are all writing, and this is, is part of what the scriptures do that ought to encourage us and, um, and kind of maybe chip away at some skepticism, is that we don't say, like, just pick a book and then become a devotee of that book, like you're, like I'm a John guy. Um, but we say, take all these together, compare them, look at the analogy of faith, so to speak. Um, and I think that that is something that's unique to the scriptures and also something that um, the reader hopefully will appreciate or go to appreciate. And that's God's modus operandi is to use regular, ordinary things to do extraordinary things. And it makes it real. It makes... It is the logos made flesh, in a in a different way, in a in a in a word way, in a in a tangible way, and that's different than a God sending an angel to dictate everything to one person. Right, in a cave. Yeah. In a cave, let's say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which c cannot really necessarily be verified. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe just lastly, because I think we've got about five minutes from until your brother's got to go. About, 50, oh. about 15 minutes. We'll okay, so we got it. Um, but maybe if we can get to that last one, uh, point five, which isn't the last on the list, but the last of the ones we picked out, because Michael took us there a little bit with mentioning the incarnation and God working through real people, whatever. Um, something that probably feels weird to people when they come into the church early on, this dude is just making so much. You see him over I here? know. He's it's, been adjusting his thing, his yeah. cord. His, it, my cord is I'm going to be doing a, a lot of like muting going through on this. Ah. Um, well, he just lasts a little. But um, right? I think one of the things that's probably weird, um, I would say it's weird to the non-Christian coming into Christianity, and I would say it was even a little bit weird. I knew what the word was as a Roman Catholic, but even just coming into Protestantism, is the how often just the word is thrown out, and it's almost like we're back to the '80s or '90s, where it's like word, you know, or like word to your mother or whatever. <laughs> but the idea of um, the word, and we can use it in really confusing ways, right? We can say the word, and we mean the Bible, the the physical book. We can say the word, and we mean what the pastor just preached. We can say the word, and we mean Jesus, right? Um, to what degree? And there's probably more ways it can be used, but if we take maybe kind of those three maybe as the guide, um, the word, so that the physical text of the Bible, you're holding a copy. It's not on your phone. And, and you, the primary reading your Bible, the primary way of reading your Bible really should be the the book. It shouldn't be on your phone. We, Christianity like made the codex a thing, right? And <laughs> you get, um, I mean, I just I remember Calpino always hammering on locale gedictness, like that you get a sense for, where the words are on a page, you re you're being reminded that you're dealing with one text, not just a scrolling thing. The internet disembodies things, right? <clears throat> um, but anyway, so the word is the physical copy of the Bible. I thought you said you weren't going to get into like deep post-modernity and all sorts of, <laughs> now we're talking like, you know, disembodied internets. And Why don't you go yank your cord and play with your headphones more? Um, so uh, the physical text, uh, the preached or taught word, right? We say the pastor, the teacher's delivering the word, um, and then Christ as word. How do those three relate if they do? And what does that tell us about scripture? Because I think this is another way that the Christian scriptures are very different than other scriptures. Is like first and foremost, like the text, we're just totally cool with it being translated into various languages. You know, we're not like, okay, learn Latin and Greek if you want to read the Bible. 
um, how it's preached. I mean, there's a wide variety of approaches that preachers can take. It's it's preached to people in particular cultures and places. John Chrysostom wouldn't deliver the same sermon today. He would have delivered them, but his sermon was what was needed at the time. Um, and then uh, the Christ himself as a person is the word. And we mean more by that than just this is a cool nickname that's tied to the the scriptures, right? Um, I'll throw that out if any of you have thoughts on it. But I, I'll, I'll jump in there. And uh, I think to me that that was always a, a, a challenging thing for a long time when you hear John talk about the word and clearly he's referring to Jesus um, and, you know, the christmas verse for john's gospel is you know the word becoming flesh and and then after the word becomes flesh now he doesn't talk about the word so much anymore but now he talks about that incarnate word in the person of jesus and calls him by the name jesus because that's what we know him as uh once he is in the flesh um and uh, you know just one of the things that i appreciated i think and i forget um, exactly where I came across that, but this that idea of you know the word in the sense of revealing the thoughts of the thoughts and, and feelings of a person, um, and if you say that you know the Son is the Word of God, you know it's like you want to know what God is really about. You want to know what God really thinks or how God really you know, feels toward you, you know, you look at Jesus. Um, and, and he that, tells Philip as much, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. And I just thought that was that was kind of a neat way to look at that. And I think... and I would I, throw in there and then keep going, but you, you mentioned how it reveals the thoughts of the heart and, and mm-hmm. all this. Right, Jesus does that again and yes. again yes. with his opponents and with his friends, the same as Scripture does to us, right? There's like probably a comparison there yep. to and what's taking place. Yeah, and what is what that is versus what it's doing to us. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that because it shows you the commonality between the preached word, the written scripture and Jesus incarnate. It is the, the thoughts and attitudes of God's heart revealed in, in flesh and blood in Christ revealed in a literary way, historically in the scriptures and revealed in, to these particular people in this particular place in a preached sermon, you know, and applied. And, uh, and then I love, yeah, what you were saying, Wade, that, that those three things can also then interpret or, or judge or, you know, encourage the thoughts in my heart, right? So God's thoughts revealed to me in these manifold ways that encourages me, it equips me, it judges me, it puts me in my place when I need it, and, um, and it can come to you in a book, in a person of Jesus, in a story, or in a community of people mm-hmm. who are encouraging me with, with the truth of the gospel, even if they're paraphrasing it, even if they are uh, summarizing it for me, yeah, singing and, it. And I think that, you know, it's this is not a, when we talk about the pastor or the teacher or the community um, and the word, we're not talking about like an ongoing like revelation that they're going to come up with this word as they go, but the word insofar as they are now taking and applying and proclaiming that the word of the scripture faithfully to people, which again, as Mike said earlier, happens then through real people. Real people do this. Maybe I'm stating the obvious here, but when it comes to the preached word, I would hope the fact that we're putting the preached word in the same category as 
Jesus and the Bible would cause preachers to have just a touch of humility when they enter the pulpit. <laughs> so I think sometimes preachers can enter the pulpit with just a bit of hubris that um, remember what you're handling here, mm-hmm. preacher. And, what, and it is, we've used the comparison in the past, but it's like the physician, right? The physician is doing medicine when she or he treats a patient, um, but they're only doing medicine insofar as they're, what they're doing, what they're practicing is in line with what the medical community actually knows, that they're doing it properly. Otherwise, what do we recognize? Malpractice, right? And and so the Christian community, the preacher or teacher, can definitely be guilty of malpractice. I have been guilty of malpractice. Well, I, um, just, I just preached for chapel the other day, and I, I confessed to Nate. I didn't have as much time to prep as I wanted to, so I read as much of Isaiah as I could. Uh-huh. And he very kindly said, I think the chances for heresy are just a little bit lower when you read that much of Isaiah. You know why? You know why I didn't know about that? I mean, A, I wasn't there, but also Nate didn't tell me because seal of the confessional. That's right. Look at that. That was a private moment <laughs> until we made it public. <laughs> um, any other thoughts on that? Or, or we'll, we'll wrap up for now. I, I think it's what we can come back to. But. I think um, one maybe thing, uh, uh, this is something that and is maybe, you know, uh, fodder for future discussion, but I think it seemed like for the longest time when people would speak of the word, it was just assumed you're talking about the Bible, right? Um, but, you know, over the last few centuries, uh, there's been a lot of um, ink spilled over, well, what exactly is that word? And separating separating the word of God from the text of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for, you know, for for us as Lutherans, you know, we look at that and say, you know, the word is still you know, inseparably connected to the text yeah. of scripture. And I think that's, that's important to recognize. But then I think there's that, that word is present as well in the preaching and some of those other, other avenues as well. So I think, you know, it is one where we definitely don't want to. It's not that the Bible contains the word. Yeah. Yeah. That it, it is the word. It is the word. And that, um, yeah, and I think that that was just assumed for a long, long time. And now I think, especially in academic circles, it doesn't seem like you can, you certainly can't assume that when somebody when somebody says that, when they when they talk of the word. Uh, and I think, you know, even within... Or even assume that it's, that they're tying it to the incarnate Christ who yeah, died and yeah, rose. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes, you know, people say, well, you know, like... Um, see error in other places and say, but it, that's not what, it's not in the, or how can they go with that? Because it's clearly against what the Bible says. And it's like, well, that they're not necessarily, that's not the question that they're concerned about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I think it is important maybe to just mention that and to say that there's probably some further discussion coming, coming along those lines, but. Right. It's not a, uh, this we is don't not old assume. country buffet. Right. Yeah, exactly. The scriptures are, are like meals with mom and dad where you didn't get up until you ate everything <laughs> yeah. on your plate. You yep. Know? Yep. Which maybe traumatized some of us. I don't know, but. Yeah. You're not a big fan of vegetables. I've, I've, I've gr- they've grown more on oh, me, but okay. yeah. My brother was a pickier eater than me, so usually okay. it was him sitting more than yeah, I so was. You, so you could kind of fly under the radar yeah. of you My know, big fight pickiness. was. Kielbasa and sauerkraut. Ooh. That was unjust, and I should not have had to endure wow. that. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, we better uh, respect everyone's time, and we're at about an hour. 
um, so it doesn't hurt us to practice discipline in that regard once in a while. Um, so we'll leave off there, but hopefully this will be something we'll be able to return to eventually we'll make our way to the clavis, but I think we have other good discussion points here on the sheet as well. Um, and so with that, we're getting close to Christmas. Um, hopefully we'll get this out this week, and I will get this um, uh, out in time for Christmas, but we will say we hope you have a blessed Advent as it winds down. Very Merry Christmas, a celebration of the incarnation of the Word. Um, and that in that one who has come to bring freedom, that you will uh, be able to let the bird fly. Get me down.